we have been going through some of the Psalms, not all of the Psalms, but some of the Psalms, looking at those particularly that are mentioned in the gospel accounts of the life of Christ. Um, because there was no book, no book of the Bible influenced Jesus more than the book of Psalms. Um, when, when Jesus worshiped, he worshiped singing the Psalms. And when Jesus prayed, he was praying through the Psalms. When Jesus studied scripture, he was studying the book of Psalms. And you can, you can see the influence of the book of Psalms in his life. And you, you can tell that the Psalms had this tremendous influence on his spirituality, on his understanding of his mission as the Messiah, on his uh, position as the Son of God. He, the, the Psalms had a tremendous, it, it, it makes sense because through the Holy Spirit he helped write those Psalms, right? He, he wrote those Psalms inspiring the prophets and the psalmists to write. So you can tell when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus, of his life and ministry, how influential the book of Psalms was on him. He quoted from the Psalms more than any other book when he preached, when he taught. In his private conversations, he was quoting from the book of Psalms. And again and again, we find the Psalms referenced helping us to understand why Jesus did some of the things that he did. For instance, one of Jesus' preferred teaching methods was the use of parables. And some of probably the most familiar teachings that, that we know, like the, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the, of the good Samaritan. We're familiar with those teachings, and as soon as we hear the titles, we know exactly what we're, what we're talking about because he used those little stories to express to us important principles within the kingdom of God, principles that he was trying to convey to us. A parable is simply a story with spiritual meaning. They've been called heavenly stories, or excuse me, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And verse, uh, chap uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 35, explains one reason why Jesus taught using parables. Matthew 13, 35 actually quotes from our psalm today, Psalm 78, when it says, So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Psalm 78 is a parable. I think it's the first time the word parable has actually been used in the Bible. But here it is in Psalm 78. And it helps us understand why Jesus used them in his own teaching. Psalm 78 is a song of praise. It's a song of praise that serves to remind God's people of their history. Psalm 78 rehearses the story of Israel. It's actually, it serves to, to tell the testimony of Israel. From the time of Israel's deliverance from bondage in Egypt to the time of David being, becoming their king. The, the uh, author of Psalm 78 is a guy named Asaph, who was a worship leader in, the, in David's kingdom. So what Asaph does is he tells us the story, the story of Israel from its deliverance in Egypt to David becoming king. And in that story, it, he wants it to serve as a parable to us. The Holy Spirit uses the story of Israel as a parable to us of who God is, of his power, of his glory, of his majesty, of his sovereignty. It's a parable that also serves as a warning for us against rebellion. 
it's a, it's a warning to avoid disobeying the Lord, but to put your life completely in his hands, to do as he says. But maybe more than anything else, and this is the tack I want to take as we talk about Psalm 78 this morning. More than anything else, I think it's a parable that reminds us today that you and I are on a mission from God. That we have been given a responsibility to declare the glory and the goodness of God to the world around us. So that, they, so that the people around us may come to know God for themselves. You see, sometimes I think like Israel, we kind of put that mission on the back burner. And we make this relationship with God all about us. God bless me. God give me. God. And that's not the point. The point of this relationship with God is so that as we are blessed, we might become a blessing to other people. That's the mission we've been given. To know God and make him known. And Psalm 78 reminds us in, in, this, in this parable form that you and I, we've been called to make a difference in the world. We've been called to represent Jesus Christ well. We've been called to be his ambassador. And I want us as a church, and I, I want myself, I need to be reminded of that occasionally too. Because it's easy for me to hunker down in, in COVID-19 kind of atmosphere and say, okay, God, just watch over me, watch over me, watch over me. But no, we can't do that. We have been called to get out the door and to make a difference in the world. We're salt and light. And that's why we wanted to partner with Ms. Robbins to feed hungry children. Because in feeding those hungry children, maybe we could bring a smile. Maybe we could bring just a glimmer of hope to those families as we presented to them those little bags of food. I know I saw some hope come into their life as we showed up day after day on a regular basis. That's what we're called to be and do, guys. This, this walk with the Lord's not about you and me. It's about him. It's about making him famous. All right, let's get to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. We're not going to read the whole psalm. I think it's 72 verses long, right? I saw the fear in your eyes. You thought, <laughs> Pastor Mark's going to make us read this whole. No, we're not. We're just going to read the first seven verses because it kind of sets us up for why for the rest of the psalm. The first seven, eight verses remind us of our mission, and then the, the majority of the psalm is really about the testimony of Israel. Have you got a testimony today? I bet you do. When was the last time you shared it with anybody? Mm. All right, let's read. Psalm 78, starting at verse 1. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a par parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for this word, which redirects our focus and our attention. It gets us, it gets us. It reminds us that we need to stop looking at ourselves and looking at the, and enjoying the blessings that you've given us. But instead, we should be looking outward, looking for ways we can bless those around us, looking for ways we can share our testimony, a testimony of hope and joy and peace of what you can do in the life of anyone who places their trust and hope in you. Help us to see, God, it's never about us. It's always about you. 
Remind us of that today through this word, and we'll give you the glory as you take this word and implant it in our hearts as we put it into practice and live to glorify your name, God. We love you. We ask that you would make your name famous among us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look, it's really clear. The, the Bible says that we have been given a mission from God, and that mission is to go and tell. Just before leaving earth to return to heaven, Jesus gave us what we call the Great Commission. Most of us have probably heard this at some point or other, but just before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he gave us what's been called the Great Commission. And some of us think that this is where, uh, this is where the Great Commission started. It's not. I'll explain that in just a minute. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So our command, our commission is not to sit and wait. It's to go and tell. But that wasn't the first time the Lord told his people, gave his people this kind of instruction. We see the same kind of instruction given to us in Psalm 78.4. It says essentially the same thing, just in an Old Testament kind of way. Psalm 78.4 says, We will not hide them, that then there is the truth of God and our testimonies from their children. We will tell, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. It has always been God's heart for his people to go and tell what God has done. Never to sit and bask in his blessings. Instead, to go and tell others of what God has done. That's always been the mission that God has given to his people. And, and that's what I, I want us to understand today as we begin to talk about this. As the people of God, we have a responsibility to the rest of the world. It's a duty to our generation. It's a duty that we have for the next what happens if you and I try to keep God hidden from our generation? Then the next generation will come along and they'll be ignorant of who God is and what God's done. I'm afraid that's much of what's happened. Because we have made God a secret and we're trying to keep it to ourselves. How silly can that be? We have, a, we have a duty to our generation, the next generation, and all future generations to go and tell others about the Lord. We have a responsibility to make God known to others so that they can come to know God for themselves. That's our mission. That's our mission. Now, in the strictest sense, it's impossible for anyone to hide the Lord. I understand that. You can't contain God in a box. God's glory is there to be seen. Romans, 8, uh, Romans chapter 1 talks about that when it tells us that God doesn't leave himself without a witness. For instance, all of creation speaks of God. All of creation is evidence of his glory and his power and his wisdom and his creativity and his imagination. I mean, oh, I saw a beautiful sunrise the other morning and I couldn't help but stop and marvel at God's handiwork, how gloriously imaginative God is. Whoever designed colors like that, those shades of, I don't even know what, it's, it's kind of pink, but it's mauve and it's, there's a little blue tinge to it. It's beautiful. Who could do that but God? So there's evidence of God everywhere displayed in, in, in creation. And we've got church buildings on every street corner, especially here in Alabama. We've got religious TV stations and radio programs, and we've got Facebook and the gospels being proclaimed today. 
you would think, you would think there would be an abundance of knowledge about God in the world today. But the reality is, there's not. There's not. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge of God. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. And all you've got to do is step back and look around and you see the, the, the destructive effects of this lack of knowledge everywhere. Did you know suicides are going through the roof? Domestic abuse going through the roof. Depression going through the roof. There's never been, in my experience anyway, the kind of hopelessness and despair in our nation. I've never seen it at these kind of levels before. We have a responsibility to tell others of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We have a responsibility. A couple years ago, I read a story about uh, a WWE wrestler, Chris Benoit. Anybody into the WWE? Oh, yeah, I see your hand. A wrestler named Chris Benoit. He strangled his wife suffocated his seven-year-old son, and then he hanged himself. But what you might not have read or heard about was that before committing suicide, Benoit placed a Bible beside the dead bodies of his wife and his son. He placed a Bible beside that dead wife and son. And I, I couldn't help but think that that man was holding in his hands the timeless truth of God's Word. In his hands, in his hands, was everything he needed to know about having a living, loving relationship with God. A life-changing relationship with God. But instead, he never accessed it. He never read it. Nobody ever explained it to him. So even though he had this vast resource of knowledge about God, he had never come to know God for himself. And we saw the consequences of it that night in that news report. Look, you and I are on a mission from God. When this pandemic is over, I wonder what our neighborhoods and our homes are going to look like. I wonder how many people, their lives have been destroyed because they had no hope to cling to in the midst of all this despair. And I'm telling you, it's going to be more important than ever that you and I, as the sons and daughters of God, take our mission seriously. There are people living right next to us who have no idea. They have no idea that there is a God who loves them, that cares for them, that offers hope and peace to them. You and I are on a mission from God. And we have to know God and we have to make him known to the world around us. We cannot hide the truth of God. We cannot keep that secret to ourselves. We cannot shut our mouths and not share the testimony of his goodness and his grace. And that's what this psalm tells us. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Say praiseworthy deeds. The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. What are those praiseworthy deeds of the Lord that the psalmist has in mind here? What are these praiseworthy deeds that we need to make sure people hear so that they can come to know God for themselves? Well, verses 9 through 72 share the testimony of Israel from the time of its deliverance from Egypt until 
David ascends the throne. And we see some of those praiseworthy deeds that are shared with us. And these were the praiseworthy deeds that the people of Israel were being called to tell the generation that they lived in and the coming generations that were coming. First, it's a testimony of God's grace, his power, his mercy, his deliverance. These praiseworthy deeds, we need to tell people about God's grace, his mercy, his power, his deliverance. Verses 13 and 16 say, he divided the sea and led them through. What do you think he's talking about there? He divided the sea and led them through the Red Sea, the parting of that sea so that Israel could walk on dry land. He made the water stand firm like a wall. He guided them with a cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the desert and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. Oh, come on, y'all. Has God ever set you free? Has God ever gotten you out of a tight spot? You remember when you were in that prison cell and you cried out to him because you thought you were never going to get out, but yet here you are today sitting in freedom. Sitting in freedom, not just from the prison cell, but from the sin that put you in that prison cell. When was the last time you told somebody about how Christ forgave you? About how Christ set you free? When was the last time you shared the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord? The praiseworthy deeds that he's done for you. It's also a testimony of God's love, his protection, and his provision. Verses 23 and tw through 29 say, Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Men ate the bread of angels. I love that phrase, the bread of angels. We know what he's talking about, right? People of Israel are in the desert. They have no food anywhere. We're talking a couple of million people. But what does God do? He feeds them every morning with the bread of heaven. Men ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let loose the east wind from the heavens and, laid, and led forth the south wind by his power. He rained meat down on them like dust, flying birds like sand on the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp. All around their tents they ate till they had more than enough for he had given them what they craved. Man, God is good. He's always providing, always protecting, always taking care of us. We are the sheep of his pasture. How many of you have gone through this pandemic and you have watched the rest of the world panic trying to get what they want, but yet God has taken care of you? He's taken care of you. When was the last time you told somebody about God's care for you? about how he provided for you, about how he protected you. When was the last time you actually opened up your mouth and said, this is what God has done for me? But we also have a responsibility, according to this psalm, to tell the whole story, to tell the whole story. Because it's also a testimony of God's jealousy for his people. It's about a relationship with a God that requires a lifetime of wholehearted commitment. See, too many of us, we want to date God. We want to date him. God's not into dating. He's into commitment. He's into a covenant. He calls us the bride of Christ. And that requires sometimes sacrifice. 
Sometimes it's a little painful because it means you need to give up what you want so that you can have what he offers. It's a call that says that we are every day to deny ourselves, take up our, take up our cross and follow him. And that's not always easy. And there is discipline that is applied to our lives. And it's painful at the time, but we know it's for our good. And that through it, the Lord is conforming us to the character of his son, Christ Jesus. Christ being formed in us. Recreating in us the image of God. So we have to tell the whole story. You see, there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to following Jesus. It requires us to lay down our lives so that he can live his life through us. It's a call to commitment, wholehearted commitment. And that's what it talks about here in verses 56 through 59. But they put God to the test, and they rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep his statutes. Like their fathers, they were disloyal and faithless, as unreliable as a faulty bow. A faulty bow. Think about that for just a minute. What is the purpose for a bow? Shoot an arrow straight. you got a faulty bow, that arrow's not going to go straight, right? I love that image. They were like a faulty bow. They looked good, but when you picked it up to shoot the arrow, we can't afford to be faulty bows in this generation. The Lord has called us for such a time as this to share what we know about God to a generation that's lost and dying and going to hell. It's our responsibility to tell what we know to be true about God. He's not a secret to be kept. They angered him with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. Can I, I, I'm convinced of this, that this pandemic has been an exercise of discipline on the Father's part. I think many of us, as his sons and daughters, are coming to realize that the things that we were holding on to real tightly, they can't be trusted. Those jobs, those careers, that bank account, that retirement fund, they can be gone like that. The only one who can be trusted is God himself. So I think that God has eliminated a lot of the high places in our life and brought them down. And he's gotten our eyes off of the idols that have captivated us for way too long. Our entertainment, convenience, those, com those things that bring us comfort. We found out we don't need those things. We need Jesus Christ and him alone. And he has stripped us bare. And I, I hope we never forget what we've learned during this time. Because it's been really hard for some of us. I understand that. But we need to get our eyes focused on Christ Jesus. He's the soon coming king and we want to be ready. And I think he's exercise some discipline over some of us. I'm in that category. A lot of things I was taking comfort in. I don't need to find comfort in those things anymore. I need to find comfort in his presence. When was the last time you shared with someone how God was working in your life to make you more holy, to make you more like Christ? Sometimes we don't like to talk about the painful things. We want to keep those to ourselves. Y'all really don't need to know what God. No, I'm telling you, people need to know there is a cost to following Christ. It doesn't come easy. It's a laying down of your life day by day by day. It's living with an attitude of repentance. When, he, when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, it's, a, it's an attitude of saying, yes, Lord, I hear you. And I don't want that anymore in my life. It's, it's, it's a sacrifice. It's, Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, in light of all that God has done for you, lay down your life as a living sacrifice. 
That's your only reasonable act of worship. It's the only real act of worship you can offer him is to give him your life. You know what? It's hard to be a living sacrifice. I think it's easier to die for Jesus sometimes than it is to live for Jesus. People need to hear that. Too many people are coming into Christianity, into our churches, thinking that this is easy, man. I say this little prayer, get up, go back to what I was doing. Oh, no, it doesn't work that way. Evidence. There needs to be evidence in our life that God is working in us. And sometimes it's painful for that evidence to be developed in our life. Mm. Let me go on. We got to get, yeah, we're late. Our world needs to hear about Jesus and his praiseworthy deeds. And, you know, and these great stories of the parting of the Red Sea, the manna that came down from the sky, the quail that God brought in to satisfy their cravings for meat. Those are great Bible stories, and I love reading those stories, and they mean a lot to me. But what the world really needs to hear today, I think, I think people really need to hear what God is doing today. You see, your testimony becomes a parable of what God wants to do in their life today. We need to live with our testimonies being on our lips at all times, ready to share the praiseworthy deeds of God, what he's doing in us today. We need to share our own testimonies. We need to be willing to share our own stories. The world needs to hear that God still works and still moves and still sets people free. And that's why I've asked my friend Sean Gregory to come and share his testimony with us a little bit. Sean, come on up here, brother. I appreciate it. See, God's not done working yet. God's still working today. He isn't an Old Testament God that's stuck doing stuff in Bible times. He's a God that's working miracles today. Hey, guys. Um, you know, I love CLF because, you know, you're not going to get some kind of whitewash, hey, it's time to raise your hand and say a little prayer kind of thing. It's a call to die to self gospel here, right? It's a life-changing, transforming type of gospel that is preached here week by week at COF because there's that's the truth of the gospel. It is life-changing, right? And, um, you know, for anybody that's on Facebook that doesn't know me, um, I just want to share a little bit, okay? Um, you know, I come from a background of um, broken relationships, bad relationships, codependency, things of that nature, drugs and alcohol. Um, it got so bad that I lost everything except for my vehicle. I remember uh, driving to the cemetery when my mom was buried, crying out to God and asking him um, to save me, to, to stop, to make me stop using dope, you know? Um, and three days later, I was locked up in the county, right? Um, I served four and a half months there. Um, I want to say that in that time, I was placed in work release. And, um, but it's, it's really funny about that because, you know, I was still back and forth in my mind. I was still uh, clinging to this codependent relationship that I had with... Um, Evan's biological mother, right? And it's really funny, my aunt brought some clothes up there. 
And I'm just trying to give you an instance of how God was actually working because while I was in the county, um, you know, I'd, I'd turn and uh, turn in repentance to Christ. You know, I cried out to God. I was, uh, there was a pastor that would come in every week, you know, and just, uh, you know, share the word of God with me. And, I, you know, I didn't know the depth of it. I didn't know, you know, uh, the depth of, you know, my sin. I didn't know the depth of um, uh, who God is, you know. But I knew that I needed a Savior, right? I knew I needed a Savior. I, needed, I knew that I need someone to save me because I couldn't do it. And um, so uh, I, was, I, I went to work release, and my aunt brought these clothes up, right? And uh, they were, some of them were dirty, but I, I, I didn't really know. I couldn't tell the difference. Well, I woke up that morning, threw on my, uh, threw on my pants, walked out there to uh, go drug test, came back in, and I pulled out two pills out of my pocket when I came in. And it, has anybody been to work release? Okay. You know what they do when you go in there. They're going to check you. But that guard was looking right at me when I had it. I said, dude, I don't know where these came from. I don't. Right? But, hey, I'm going to tell you the way that God did work, the way that God did work, it's amazing because it was a non-narcotic muscle relaxer, right? And it was an aproxen. But they still sent my butt back over there. It didn't matter. You know, I still went back over there, and I praise God for it because in back of my mind, I was saying I might leave. Where would I have been at today if I would have left? I believe that God, you know, keeps those that are his, right? He chastens his children, right? Um, so I went back over there. I served my time. I got out, and... um. I got back to trying to find a job, trying to work, you know. I got back hooked up with some friends, drank a few beers kind of thing, and God ended that too, right? So I was going this way, but God redirected, all right? Um, I wanted to start working, and I thought that, you know, I wanted Evan back. I wanted these things to go back to normal, and I thought money was a means to do that, right? So I had a vehicle. I was going to start working for the same company that I was doing shutdown work. Well, I start to go out of town, and my transmission went out of my vehicle. Go figure, right? Because I talked to Pastor Mark about that the week before, and he's like, you know, you know, try it out. See what's, go what, what's happening. But it's not even just that. It's that I tried to get a rental car, and they wouldn't let me. I wanted to get a rental car. Then the next week, I was going to get a bus, and I missed the bus. So, you know, if that's not saying, hey, maybe you don't need to go out of town, <laughs> I don't know what is, okay? Um, but I thank God for that because you know what? Sometimes I think subconsciously while we're doing this walk with Christ, we want to cut, tail, and run in a lot of different ways, right? We want to put the mask on, right? We want to we want to say, "Hey, um I'm good." 
Have you ever sat down with a mentoree or a sponsee and they say, oh, yeah, everything's all right? How can you help that? How can you help that? If they're not, if they're not talking to you, how can you help that? But you know what? I just want to say that I think that sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what the gospel actually is sometimes, right? Because we don't understand who we are in light of a holy God, right? We don't understand that aspect of it. We think it's some kind of superficial whatever, that it's like what God can do for you now, which he does do a lot of things for you. But the fact is, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Evan. It's not about Jenny, right? It's not about anybody except for God's glory. That's what it's about. Because you look at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. What does it say? In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, Sean. Each breath you take is given to you by God. Think about that. You know, the sun shines on the just and the unjust, you know. God is not the author of evil, but he's in control. All right. I just want to say right now that the process doesn't stop because I want to tell you that Alistair Begg says this. You have been saved. You've been justified, right? Justified by what? The blood of Christ, right? That you are being saved, right? Through the atoning work of the Holy Spirit, through, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctification process, right? And one day you will be saved because you will be placed in a glorified body and you will be taken out of the presence of sin, okay? So, <laughs> I want to say, you see the gospel declared. I'm, I'm being sanctified each and every day. You know, I just come to find that I still have anger problems or anger issues, okay? That I mask other emotions with anger. It's not anger, it's deeper emotions. Anger is a, ma you, mask, you mask other emotions with anger, right? I've come to find this. So I'll get mad because I don't even know how I feel. Who here can tell me exactly how you feel right now? Because I can't, and I don't, right? I need a new heart. I need a new mind, and thank God that Christ has given me one, right? Continually. It's not just, hey, I, I repent and turn to Christ, and next week I show up, and I'm sinless. That's not how it works, right? So I want to say... You see the gospel declared as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But if you're going to go and proclaim that to somebody and you're going to tell them what they're doing in your life, they're going to say, well, what does that mean to me? Then you go to Genesis 3 and you say there was a fall. That fall was, that fall was led by doubt in what God has previously said, right? They were, or discontentment, right? That, that the enemy came and casted doubt into Eve, and Adam sinned, right? That the fall that was, that was uh, 
inherited by us, right? From the beginning, right? Okay. So they say, well, so I'm a sinner. Okay. But then you see when you start to read that God is not, you hear the aspect of God loves the sinner but hates the sin. But God hates iniquity in all those who do it, right? So outside of Christ, the wrath of God abides on you, right? But God says, come as you are, because as, as you hear me speak right now, God is speaking to you. Right? As you hear that, you have a choice. Every single one of you has a choice to say, do I want my sin or do I want God? Right? The gospel and God's love is shown through his justice. And that justice is expressed through the cross of Christ who bore the wrath of God that day for you and me. God created, right? He created, but he didn't have to create. He was self-fulfilled in himself before the beginning of time, right? Why? Why did he? I want you to know that God loves every single one of us in here and that there is a call to come to him and die to self and live for Christ. Repent and turn to Christ. And that's all I got. Repent and turn to Christ. Repent and turn to Christ. That's the message we take daily. And that's the testimony that saves us, and it's the testimony we pass on because it can save them too. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, and we're going to bring the service to a close. I really want to emphasize again how important it is that we see our part in this mission. God is a God on a mission, and his mission is to call everyone to repentance, to bring them into a loving relationship with him. That is, that is the expressed mission of God from Genesis to Revelation. And that's the mission he, he calls us to participate in. The mission to know him and make him known. But in order for you to make him known, in order for you to fulfill the mission, in order for you to do what God has created you to do, called you to do, equipped you to do, you have to first make up your mind that you want to know him for yourself. You must know him before you can make him known. And my question is for everyone here in this room and everyone that's listening, this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Do I really know God? Do I really know him for myself? Is my relationship with God built on what someone else has told me about God? Is it built on what my pastor 
says? Is my relationship with God built on what my mentor says? My mom has said, my dad has said. Is my relationship built on what someone else has said? Or is my relationship with God my own? Do I know God? Do I know God? That's where it all starts. The reality is there are a lot of people telling others about God, and they don't really know who God is. They've built a relationship on such a faulty foundation. Do you know God? Do you know God? Do you know him for yourself? Have you turned from sin and trusted in Christ for your salvation? Do you recognize his voice when he speaks to you? Do you respond obediently when he does? Do you know him? Do you know him for yourself? Do you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you know him? Do you know him? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question. Chris, I'm going to ask you if you would. You see, I believe that today is the day of salvation. I don't think we have a tomorrow guaranteed. We need to do what we need to do today. And today, if you do not know God yourself, if you have not placed your trust in Christ Jesus to save you, if your relationship with God is built on what others have told you about God, then today is the day you need to come to know God for yourself. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? I think that's the question that has to be answered today. Do I know him? Do I know him? Do I know him? If you're in this room and you can and you say honestly, I know about him, but I don't know him. I know only what others have told me about him, but I don't know him. Then I encourage you, as Chris begins to lead us in a song, would you please respond to this altar call? Would you come and bow your knee at his throne? Would you come and let him reveal himself to you as the God who loves you, as the God who is calling you to conform to the image of his son, as the God who has done already so much in your life to care for you, to, to show his love for you. He's done incredible things for you. But he wants to know you. And he wants you to know him in an intimate in personal way.
now's the time. This is the moment where you lay your life down and say, Jesus, live through me. I want to know you. I want to know you.